This is episode number 152 with best-selling author and expert in conscious communication, Dr. Rick Brinkman. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to give you the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today, I bring you a special episode. Today, I bring you Dr. Rick Brinkman. Dr. Brinkman is the co-author of six McGraw-Hill books, including the two million copy international bestseller, Dealing with People You Can't Stand, How to Bring Out the Best in People at Their Worst. His conscious communication expertise has led him to providing over 4,000 programs in 18 countries to clients including the astronauts of NASA, Sony Pictures, the FBI, and many more. In this interview, Dr. Brinkman gives his five-step process on how to listen to understand. He gives his three-step process in order to speak to be understood, which I felt was super important how to give bad news to other people in the right way, and my personal favorite, the importance of modeling. That part is gonna be a game changer for you, I'm telling you. This episode is gonna be fire. I can't wait for you to listen and share the word out. Make sure you take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and let me know your favorite part. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member who's working on their communication skills, whether it be at home or at work. These tips could be the thing that saves their personal relationship, could be the thing that gets them promoted at work, or maybe it's what gets them to finally listen to you. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with communication expert, Dr. Rick Brinkman. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super stoked for today's interview with the conscious communicator himself, uh, Dr. Rick Brinkman. Uh, Dr. Brinkman, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Whenever there's difficult people, I'll be there. <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons I've been super excited to have you on today. Ever since I, I first saw your name and looked up some of your content, I was like, not only does this guy just have like a super unique topic that he talks about, or is he an expert in this topic, but this guy is hysterical. So <laughs> I was, I've, been, I've been looking forward to uh, to that for, for those different reasons for sure. So Laughter basically, is the real, best medicine. <laughs> that's the best way to deal with difficult people, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically, you laugh at yourself, laugh at other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to give you, a, no, no, you're good. I love it. To give you a brief introduction, uh, Doctor Brinkman is, is best known for his conscious communication expertise, which is why uh, I labeled you that right there at the beginning. Uh, you know, you've conveyed that expertise to millions of people via keynotes and trainings. You've given over 4,000 programs in 18 different countries, and uh, you sold over 2 million copies of this book right here, Dealing with People You Can't Stand, How to Bring Out the Best in People at Their Worst. So I can't, that's over 2 million copies. That's absolutely absurd. So that's super cool. Um, but the way I want to start off today, Dr. Brinkman, is before we kind of get into the this kind of specific communication material, is I know that earlier on in your career, you were a holistic physician and you were always trying to help people deal with their kind of like mental and and emotional states, if you will. But then you really found out that when people were benefiting or people were really feeling better mentally and emotionally when they were able to deal with people in a better way and have better relationships with others. And that's kind of how you got into this. But And that's kind of the the extent that I know of it. So I want you to go a little bit deeper into kind of 
when you really decided that you wanted to kind of make this shift into communication as like what your study was going to be? Okay, well, I'm a naturopathic physician, which is a holistic physician. Uh, 23 states at this point have naturopathic physicians. Four-year medical school, pretty much the same program, but when it's you're getting therapeutic, you're going to be required to take four years of clinical nutrition. You're going to be required to take botanical medicine, Chinese medicine, required to take psychology and counseling, so you're going to influence people to make lifestyle changes that are good for them. So... Um, I then, uh, once I was in practice, uh, I started learning communication skills as a way of influencing my patients at a greater level. But then I met a medical doctor who said to me that the, the symptom is a metaphor for what's going on. If somebody has uterine bleeding, you should ask him that those are teardrops, what would you be crying about? Before you know it, my co-author and I, who's also a naturopathic physician, started counseling more and more people. And before we know it, we're getting physical symptoms to resolve just by dealing with other issues. So for example, I remember I had a woman who had arthritis. She tried everything I've ever heard of traditionally or alternatively, as it was called back then, now being called complementary. And uh, I dig into her life and I find that her husband works for the federal government. So he's flying back and forth to Washington, D.C. each week. She says she's hated that job for 20 years, hasn't expressed it, wants to support him. He was supposed to take an early retirement. He decided against that. She suppressed her feelings about that, too. When minor upsets would occur, she wouldn't deal with it. She would suppress it because they only had two days a week together. Well, if you suppress too much somebody you care about, it's going to build up a barrier between the two of you. My entire prescription is the teacher had to share upset in a way that people don't feel attacked or defensive. She did this, and 30 days later, arthritis symptoms were gone. And they say gone. And I got what's known in the medical business as a major case of trout mouth when you look like this. Next thing I know, I'm counseling more and more people. Um, I found that especially with depression and low energy syndrome, uh, if I clarify people's values, set some goals, get them to make a plan, tune up their self-esteem, uh, it's amazing how depression and low energy just disappears. I remember a guy had been through two years of psychoanalysis. At the end of that analysis, the analysis was you're depressed. Well, he knew that going in. Okay, so now he's on medication, and now he's more depressed because he didn't realize he was violating a personal value about being on medication. So I asked him, well, what's, what's going on in your life? Where are you now? He goes, oh, I'm in a, a dead-end job going nowhere. I said, well, let's talk about your past. He says, oh, filled with failure. I said, well, what's, what do you look forward to in the future? He goes, more of the same. Pretty depressing. Yeah. Here's a quick tip to bum yourself out in case you ever get too happy. Pick something in your present that you hate and see it keep going forever in your future. You will immediately feel bad, drain yourself with energy. Well, in his case, we clarified values, goals, made a plan, tune up his self-esteem. A couple of months later, he quit his dead-end job, starts his own business, and depression magically disappears. So that really changed the way I practice, and it became all that kind of mind-body medicine. And especially, uh, I found relationship issues, communication, people, that's one huge area of life. And another huge one is uh, fulfillment, where you're, are you doing something that's fulfilling to you that you enjoy, or are you doing something you just hate and you're doing it? So that was a big change. And then that led to seminars and uh, full-day programs. At first, it was four, four-day programs, and then it became full days and keynotes and blah, blah, blah. And because communication relates to everybody, it really has been fortunate. You know, I got to work with the astronauts at NASA. I work with the FBI. I work with Merck. I work with Blue Cross Blue Shield. I mean, everybody communicates. It's it's universal. Yeah. So let's say let's say somebody listening today has 
has arthritis or has some sort of issue like like that that is manifesting itself physically what advice would you give to them to like maybe like what kind of conversation they could have with themselves to see if the reason that this is happening is because of a maybe a relationship that they have with somebody else or the relationship they have with themselves how can they discover if their physical manifestation in this negative way is happening because of one of those reasons? Well, you certainly have to investigate all the physical aspects too. You don't want to disregard right. that. I mean, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't say that it's always this one way. Right. 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 Okay. But, uh, I've found that if the symptoms are a metaphor for what's going on, if you like, let's say you hold back and you're like angry about something, but you're, you're tensing your arms, all of a sudden you're going to start to feel this pain in your joints right here, this, this pressure. So if I'm suppressing too much, that could, it could turn into a physical symptom, whether or not it does. Again, you can't, I can't be universal about that. It's not a automatically causes B because people spring leaks, so to speak in different directions, depending. And then you have to look at it at a bigger scale as uh, you know, as a being, as a soul, whatever, what are you here to learn and what are the obstacles you might run into and create to get beyond it, to expand your level as a being. So there's a, there's not a simple answer for that, but I wouldn't discount any about things going on mentally, emotionally, relationship-wise, or fulfillment-wise. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, I definitely wasn't. Uh, definitely was not saying that. I thought that was the ever the only reason um, at at all. But just wanted to just wanted to ask that question. Um, so one of the things that I was fascinated about in your book is. I've, I've seen a lot in books and, and speeches and stuff about how you want to listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to respond. And, and you talk about that in your book as well. But the, kind of the other edge of the sore that you talk about is to speak to be understood. And another way that you kind of talked about that is the goal of a conscious communicator isn't about you communicating it to them, but it's about you landing the communication kind of with them. So I kind of want you to, to riff on that a little bit and, and talk about the, the importance of speaking to be understood. All right. Well, I think the first thing you want to do if you want to be understood is you want to understand the other person. And we call blending. Blending means meeting people where they are. And it happens in a multitude of ways. You know, you're traveling somewhere sometime, you get in a conversation with someone about something, you discover, what? We grew up in the same place? In that moment, difference are removed, you feel closer, that's blending. Uh, you go, go out with a friend, you're dressed in similar style or colors, maybe the same sports team paraphernalia, blending with a friend in a restaurant. Look at the menu. What are you going to have? What does what that have to do with your hunger and thirst? It's about rapport. If we feel, have similar things, we feel closer. So get having a person feel understood is one of the most powerful blending things you could ever do. And it builds up over time. Blending's not a one-time thing. Anytime you say, I trust somebody, it's because they've blended with you over time. Now, they could blend in general or they could blend in subject areas. Like, let's say there's somebody's computer advice you take in an instant. If they tell you to do it, you just do it. You don't question it. You may not be taking their relationship advice as quickly. So that's blending is always happening. And understanding is one of the most important things. And I think that too often people want to say what they have to say too quickly. And if you really want to land your communication, then make sure the other person feels understood first, because people can only pay attention to seven, give or take two things at any one time consciously. So even if you're trying to say something, somebody's attention might be just on breathing changes, waiting for you to take a breath so they could jump in and say what they have to say. 
And if you ever hear somebody repeat themselves and tell you something and then they tell you again and then they tell you again, that's an idiot light on your dashboard going, I'm not you got it. I'm not you got it. You have no clear indication that people don't feel like they've been heard yet. I found that you should never assume that you understand right off the bat. You should always go at least three levels deeper in questioning and being a little more specific beyond when you think you're sure you understand. And you'll be stunned at how many times you really didn't understand, or you understand to a degree, but in terms of some specificity, you didn't get that at all. And so what you do, it's uh, you start out with listening. And the first phase, you don't have to do a lot. You give people meaningful looks like this. And you make some occasional grunts, huh? Hmm. <laughs> then you would backtrack. And backtrack simply means you say back what somebody says to you. So if you did that with me, you say backtracking means somebody, we say back what somebody says to us. And what you really told me now is you've listened to me because you could say back what I just said. So you backtrack, summarize, and then you start to clarify, ask questions to find out more. Anytime you ask questions to find out more, it shows you really care to try to understand what the person's saying. And when you put listening and caring together, this is what gives people the feeling of being understood. So you're going between backtrack, clarify, backtrack, clarify, backtrack, clarify. And at one point, when you think you got it, you give a complete summary of what you heard so far. And then you say, is there anything else? And then if they say, no, you got it, then now it's now you could the mind is like wide open. And now you could tell them just about anything. And then so taking that other half, speak to be understood. You should always think of communication like a phone number. You need all the digits and you need them in the right order. You know, if you have a seven digit number and you haven't turned a six into a nine, that's only 10 percent error. But the call does not get through. If you have the digits accurate, but you dial the area code at the end as an afterthought the call does not get through. So in communication, here's the area code, and it's basically a statement of intent. And I saw this with, with couples. Uh, this is when it became clear to me. Let's say, this. okay, this is the event where it, it, I realized it. Let's say one person is upset about something. So now their intent is to clear the air. Okay, that's a good intent, clear the air. So they go to their partner, but they don't speak their intent. They just say, you know, I was upset the other day when you said that I could have because... And now their partner hears a sound in their mind like this. We are under attack. This is not a drill. Misunderstanding. If we speak intent, we say, I love you. I care about you. I hate to something block our communication. I would like to clear the air. Oh, now they know where you're coming from. Home is not where you go when you're tired of being nice to people. So that's a joke for your listeners. Yeah. Okay, long ago. Okay. All right. But, but really, anytime... Anytime you start with intent, you're setting up a clear communication. What's the purpose behind what I'm about to say? And you always know the mental signal for intent. If you have any concern about people taking things the wrong way, that's a real signal for starting out with, with intent. So that's part of speaking to be understood. And then the next level down is something called criteria. So I'm in my office with a couple. It's the end of the visit. Everybody's feeling good. She suddenly turns to him and says, honey, let's go to the Rose Gardens. And he goes, nah. And she goes, okay. And I say, wait a second. What's your intent right now? Why did you bring this up? She says, well, we're feeling close. We have in a long time. We have a now report to pick up the kids. I thought it'd be nice to spend some quiet time together. Intent. He goes, that's a great idea. I don't want to be outside. Too hot, too buggy. How about the cafe? We'd be meaning to try. She says, sure. Now, she doesn't care about Rose Garden. She cares about time together. That's the intent. But why Rose Gardens? Why not dinner for a tour, a movie, or a cruise? That's that next level down. That's criteria. 
you know, uh, maybe, all right, they have a time criteria and they have to pick up the kids. So whatever they do has to fit within an hour. That's a, a drop dead criteria. Uh, maybe it's on the way home. So geography supports the time criteria. Maybe it doesn't cost anything. So there's budgetary criteria. Maybe it's a place of special meaning. So there's atmospheric criteria. So whenever people actually have an idea or point of view, what's preceding it, it originates with a purpose, the intent. They then run their intent through the criteria and out pops uh, the idea. So as a conscious communicator, you want to recognize that the phone number is intent, criteria, idea. Mm -hmm. So if she was being conscious of that, she wouldn't start with Rose Garden. She'd go, you know, we're feeling closer. It'd be nice to spend some time together. So I'm thinking... What fits within the hour on the way home? Nice place, meaningful to us, Rose Garden. On the other hand, when you receive a communication as a conscious communicator, you got to be responsible. You can't depend on other people to be clear. So his first response shouldn't be, nah, it should be, why do you want to do that? And she'd go spend time together. Ah, intent revealed. Why Rose Gardens? Well, on the way home, fits within the time frame, da 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 da. Now, he might go, yeah, but I don't want to be outside too hot and buggy. How about the cafe we've been meaning to try? He throws in some more criteria, boom, and we live happily after Africa for a while. You really want to you want to train yourself to speak intent, criteria, idea. And when people talk to you, the first thing you want to do when you're trying to understand, which is always the first thing to do, is what's their intent, what's their criteria that makes them say that. Yeah, the, the intent and criteria part was such a big aha kind of moment for me when I was reading the book. Um, because, because you talked about that, that exact story and it was like, you can see how so many people have an issue with that, that where if they just stated the intent that they'd be like, Oh, okay. Like, let's just like come up with something that we both want that intent. Essentially, let's just come up with something that, in which the criteria meets both, like we're both satisfied with that. So I think that was a, that's a huge thing. And just to kind of go back on the first part, the listening to understand, I love the the kind of the five-step process too because I'm, I wrote that down in my notes when I was reading the book. The blend, backtrack, clarify, summarize, and confirm. That was super important. And now I know I'm I, – I, when I wrote it down, I actually wrote it down this morning. I was like BBCSC. I, w- I want to make sure I bring that into my conversations that like next time I go and have like a meaningful conversation with, with somebody like – be consciously like thinking about going through that five-step process with that person. So those five and then intent, criteria, idea for speaking to be understood. So if you're taking notes, that's what you need to be jotting notes down and rewind like a few minutes and and re-listen to that. So that was awesome. Um, And then something that's uh, another idea that I have heard before, but that you talk about so well is the necessity behind like the distinction between personality and behavior. And how important that is when you're kind of like judging others' communication, if you will. Because we very much, and we all do this, I do this all the time, we very much judge people's personality based off of what we see them do. And so I guess just riff on that idea again, the importance of distinguishing between the two and not letting our vision of their behavior let us judge their personality. Yeah, that's that's really huge. All right, so... I mentioned you can only pay attention to seven, give or take two things at any one time consciously. This research was done in the mid-50s. They called it the magic number seven. Uh, So we have a part of our brainstem called the reticular activating system. And it has a multitude of functions, but one of which is like radar. So if you're getting married, suddenly, whoa, look, everybody's getting married. If you have children, wow, it's a baby boom. If you're interested in a certain car, there it goes again. 
a part of our brains going, and then you see it, whatever that is. All right. So personality versus behavior. If I think somebody's personality is negative, guess what I notice? They're there again. Told you so. I knew nothing would work with that person. You can engage in the strategy for negativity in the book. You can be having quite an impact. Maybe half the time they're not negative. They suggest a solution. But you know what? You will not even notice it. We have to be careful because we as human beings are programmed to be right about whatever we believe in the first place. Well, we don't want to be right that people are difficult. If I think somebody's negative, that's all I'm going to notice. But if I think behavior, behavior is fluid and it's constantly changing. And in fact, you can think of behavior like clothing, depending on where you're going, what you're going to do, who you're with. You may wear different things. If we're going swimming with friends, we're going to wear different things. If we're going to a formal event, we're different things. If we're with our boss at work, we're different things. When we're lounging at home, it's different things. And so behavior changes according to context. Where are we? What's going on? And it changes according to relationship, who we're with. I mean, you know, you could know somebody seems to be a bully most of the time. They're pushy. They're aggressive. You wouldn't believe what a wimp that person can turn into in a different context or in a different relationship that you never see. My wife is fond of telling people she has to come to a seminar to hear me speak because in most social situations, I'll just be a nothing person. But I explained to her, I'm a professional speaker. You have to pay me. <laughs> Anyone with children knows that a child comes back from the neighbor and the neighbor says, oh, how polite and helpful they are. My child... Different context, different behavior. So that's what you have to be careful of. We're going to be right about whatever we believe. We're going to notice what fits our beliefs. But if you start thinking in behavior, you're going to see subtle changes. You're going to see how different people can be depending on who's there and what's going on. Like in business, somebody in a meeting with the boss there might be different if the boss is not there. And if you're one-on-one -on -one with them, they might be totally uh, different. I remember I had a uh, on a plane, I met somebody who's a consultant for a major corporation. And he said that the CEO is just... If he puts out an idea, and even if people like it, well, that's great. And it'd be also cool if we, if people try to add something onto it, he gets all defensive. Like somehow he didn't think of that and he, he reacts. But this consultant told me, but if you get him one-on-one, -on -one, you can just be blunt and say, Frank, your idea stinks. And he'll go, really? Why? Tell me. And he's totally open-minded. Whereas in the context of the meeting, he goes into a different mode. So it, it, once you start uh, thinking behavior, you're going to see how different you are in different places. And you're going to notice some subtleties, even in all the people around you, how they're different. And you'll be much more effective because if you don't think behavior, you think personality, you're just going to be right yeah. about whatever you believe in the first place. Yeah. And so that the, the reticular activating system and, and this idea, it's, it's like applicable to so many things outside of just like communicating with other people, like that idea of so you, you buy a specific car, now everybody has that car. You, that shows up in a lot of areas of life. But what I, I guess my main question here with the personality and behavior thing is what's been the most helpful way that you've applied that knowledge? Is it simply just like knowing that and not judging other people for their behavior in certain situations? Or what's been your biggest benefit from having that knowledge? I don't, I don't know if that question is targeted enough but do you know what i mean like is it like i think that that knowledge is important for people to grasp and to hear through this episode but like how can they go use that and apply that is it simply by understanding that people's behaviors are going to be different in different settings and so don't judge them for it is that the best application well you know, you're one thing's going to happen you're going to assume that people are capable of a lot more 
And so uh, instead of just going, oh, great, the person's being negative again, you know, let's say somebody you work with at a meeting. Instead, you go, oh, okay. And then, you know, the strategy for negativity, you understand, you know, from that book, how negativity, where it originates from and what that person really needs and how they're caught in their own generalization about everything's wrong, nothing's right. It's always that way. And you know what to do. So you you're more flexible. You're automatically more flexible. You would apply uh, the strategy specifically according to where people are. And that one attitude adjustment I think is important is that uh, the world is your laboratory and, and it, there's always something in it for you in any interaction, good or bad. If you, after that interaction, you debrief yourself, well, what did I do that didn't work? What have I always done with that person? What have I never tried in that situation? Then you're going to start, you're going to find new ways to deal with it because if what you're doing isn't working, you have a guarantee it's not working. Anything else you do increases the likelihood of success. So I feel like it opens up your ability to be flexible by thinking behavior. And then immediately people see all the different ways, how different they are in all different areas of their life. And then they recognize that uh, people are like that too. I really liked that, that, that point you just said, how you recognize your own behaviors in different settings. And when you recognize that, you see which behaviors are supportive of where you want to go and which ones are not supportive and where you want to go. And that's when you can identify what you need to stop doing or what you should continue doing maybe. So one of the, um, the thing I want to transition to now is I love your, I don't even know if it's like the circle is really called anything, but how you have like the four basic intents, the lens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lens of understanding. So basically I want you to kind of talk about the four basic intents, the get the task done, get the task right, get along with people, and get appreciation from people. And because I know, I know that like literally just thinking about that as the four basic intents makes me view how people are interacting with me completely differently. Well, we have, these four intents are always part of us. Uh, and when that this is what we call the cooperation zone. And when we're in the cooperation zone, uh, there's no conflict between us. And depending on what's going on, situation, context, relationship, one of these can be more important than the other. So if I suddenly getting things done becomes more important, then what I'm going to do is very be very task focused. I'm going to be a little more assertive to push forward and make it happen. On the other hand, if I'm uh, and get it right, though I'm still going to be task focused. Now I have to slow it down to make sure all the details get covered. Now, obviously, given anything you're working on, there's always a perfect balance between these that we have to achieve. It's important to get along with people. If you want to get along, then the people is who you focus on. But in those cases, we tend to be less assertive because we put our own needs aside to please others. This is what happens when people go to lunch. You want to go to lunch? Sure. Where would you like to go? I don't know. Where would you like to go? I don't know. Are you hungry? I don't know. Are you? Really, we don't know if we're hungry, but what we're doing is we, we're putting our needs aside to please others. It's part of getting along and less assertive. If we want to uh, get, get appreciated by people, then uh, we're more likely to still focus on people, but we're going to be more assertive. Oh, hey, you ever going to say lunch? What? You haven't. Everybody, let's go. It's on the best you. So I'm putting myself in turn to please others. So we go through all these different uh, intents, depending on where we are, what's going on. It could be, you know, with certain people, you're in a certain place, or it could be at work. You're usually um, in, let's say, get it done at a home. You go get along uh, totally. You, as you start paying attention, you'll see how you move through through these uh areas. But then if people are not get, getting what they need from those around them, then they move out into that 
yellow zone, the caution zone. So if, if I want to get things done and the people I'm depending on seem to be just running around lost, then I'm all right, people, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go and control because if I can control it, then it gets done. If I need to get it right and the people around me are saying it's about 50, I think, you think, that I'm going to perfection into those details. If I want to get along, I'm not sure it's happening. I'm to go into approval, do things to make sure everything's okay between us. And if I want to be appreciated, I go into attention, do things to get people to notice. Now, that yellow zone is not necessarily a problem, but you know, uh, sometimes it's a solution. Somebody takes charge. Somebody makes sure the details get covered. And interesting enough, that this can happen on a um, kind of a company level, too, in, in general. So I remember doing a um, program for a software company in uh, the Seattle area. And in the seminar, when they looked at the lens, they realized that, wow, pretty much uh, everybody was in either get along or uh, uh, get it right. And they were that way because the way they interviewed and hired brought them people who like to get along with each other at work and be a nice, happy team and who like to be very detailed in their work. And that was not the purpose behind how they hired. It was a side effect, but that was a ha to them. They realized, aha, no wonder we're one big family. Aha, we're no wonder we're so meticulous. And on the downside, aha, no wonder it's a major miracle to get a decision made in this company because everybody wants to either study it in greater detail or wait till everybody agrees. Mm. First break, some of these software engineers come up to me, they start naming things that they created and did nothing with. And then somebody else brought it to market. So do you think, I, I didn't even think about that aspect of it, like the, the company-wide aspect of it until you just talked about it, because everybody was in that kind of like passive area a lot of the times. So is it important to, is, is this one of the things that you help maybe like managers and, and, and bosses do, like make sure that you hire people who aren't just like all in this one area of the, of the zone? Yeah, well, I don't actually, uh, that would be a good idea, although I don't actually help them in their hiring practices, yeah, but right. I do help people who are there get flexible and realize what's going on and learn to move into other areas on purpose. You know, like for me, I would say get attention was my least zone. I didn't want to be a, the center of attention. I don't mind being taking charge of a situation, but I'm not there just for the sake of attention. You know, some people have this ego need. I didn't have that. But when I started having to present, well, I can't be a nothing person. I was always a well-developed nothing person. And, you know, just in situations, observing what's going on. But you can't be nothing in front of 200 people. So I really had to develop that aspect of my being to be able to put myself out there and be the center of attention. Uh, and really, it was sourced on a deeper level from a get it done. Because if I knew if I only got an hour or even only a day with a group, I have to be totally effective. And the way I'm going to be totally effective is with comedy, with storytelling, with entertaining them. And so that was sourced me moving into that zone. And I remember this was like kind of 1985 and it was time to get a car. And I was, there was a prelude, the Honda prelude red with gold Yankee wheels. Never in my life would I have chosen a red car, right? It would always be blue or gray or something more subtle, but I, I had to push myself. I really liked that car and I, made myself get it to, to be willing to try to get more comfortable being in that attention zone. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have you stay on this topic because this is something that we, they mentioned a little bit before the interview, how a lot of this material and a lot of this, this knowledge can help you master your own reactions and help you 
see where you are in kind of the lens of understanding, right? You can you saw where you are and you were more in the get it done. You weren't necessarily as much get a, get attention from people or get appreciation from people. So I guess that for you was kind of the way that you you worked out of that was simply by realizing it and then by trying to do these things to get you towards the other end of the lens, I guess. And I, I guess just talk, talk more about how people can use this knowledge to master their own reactions, like the topic we talked a little bit before before the interview. Yeah, we really need to go internal because that's half the game is inside your own head is changing your reactions. So, you know, I remember, uh, I think that the secret is modeling. Uh, modeling. You ask yourself, who mm. would have the ability I want uh, in that situation? So when I was learning to speak in front of groups, I was scared, I was nervous. I asked myself who would be calm and centered in front of 200 people. I felt that's what I needed was be calm and centered. That's how I would describe that resource state. And I thought of Kwai Chang Kane from the Kung Fu television show, David Carradine, 1979, Kung Fu master in the old wild west, throwing gunslingers in slow motion. He's not going to worry about 200 people. He could take them if they rush the stage. So I would close my eyes and get inside of Kwai Chang and just imagine how does he feel? How does he breathe? How does he hold himself? Feel it in your body, all right? What are his beliefs, inner beliefs? How? What makes him who he is? And I would explore Kwai Chang from the inside out. When I got inside of Kwai Chang, what I found, uh, I saw calm and centered from the outside, but what was going on in the inside was a total trust in the perfection of all things. There's no screwing up. It's all perfect. So he could just be present and respond to whatever was going around him. And uh, so then what I would do is, uh, as I imagine Kwai Chang, I would interlace my hands and give it a gentle squeeze. Anytime, how, how does Kwai Chang feel? Squeeze. What does he tell himself? Squeeze. Being Kwai Chang. And I'm purposely creating an association between the squeeze of the hands and the internal state. Then continue in that fantasy, I would then go, okay, now imagine being in front of a group that time in college when I was scared to death, but as Kwai Chang, and then replay it being that character with those resources, and then go to another time. All right, now imagine a future time going in and being in front of the group and being Kwai Chang. And basically I eliminated all nervousness in a two week period. I had died a thousand deaths for years trying to get past it, but once I learned this, I wiped it out. Now, all our reactions to anything are a bunch of associations we accumulate over time. You know how you hear a song and suddenly it takes you back to that stage in your life. Now, you didn't do that on purpose. Your mind just did it for you. You know, or you smell something and transport it to time. Now, we know enough to use it on purpose. Let's say we're about to leave the house. We're going to grab something to eat before we go. We're at the refrigerator. And then we remember, oh, my cell phone is charging in the bedroom. So we go to the bedroom to get our what did I come here for? But everyone, you know what to do. Cell phone. The moment you touch the handle and thought of it, the link is made between the two. Now that link is not permanent. What makes a link stick is either repetition, like the song that plays over and over, or intensity. You get sick on a certain food. It's a while before you want to eat that food. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I'm um, imagining being Kwai Chang, the more times I sit down and do it, that's all repetition. And the fact that I'm concentrating on it and really focusing on the detail, that's the equivalent of intensity. Now, once you've done that once in, with eyes closed, then what you do is anytime you think of that situation, you know, no, no, this is, I would have done it. You know, if I think, let's say I was uncomfortable at a meeting and I want to be different and I remember back, 
well, here, this is what we do. You know, have you, if you have an uncomfortable interaction with somebody, your mind shows you reruns, oh, they said that, and I felt bad, they said that I felt bad, that I felt bad. Think of what you're doing. You're doing reps to the way it was. This is natural. Our brain is programmed, and you can't change this part of it, to replay the past, to remember it the way it was. So in theory, we learn from it, don't touch hot stove. And then we end up pre-playing the future. Oh, next time at the meeting, and we, so we're rehearsing feeling bad in our spare time. So you can't not stop replay, preplay, but what you can do is decide what would I want instead, who would have the resource I want, and then every time you think of it, oh, no, no, no. and if you're driving, of course, you don't put your hands together, but once you sat down and concentrated once, no, no, this is how I would have done it, this is what I would have said. Next time in the meeting, this is how it'd be, and you you just bring it in, and you're going to do more than enough uh, enough reps to the way it was because of just the way our mind works. Uh, so you have to harness your own processes. Now, I, I, you don't have to, now, obviously I modeled a fictional character. Okay. It could be somebody real. Uh, I had a, or I had a patient who wanted the first thing in the morning and exercise, jump up there and just get out there. And I said, all right, who do you think could do this? And I'm expecting to hear, I'm going to hear Rocky. I'm going to hear Schwarzenegger. He goes, Rexy. I go, Rexy. Who's Rexy? He goes, my dog. First thing in the morning. Ooh, ooh, out, out, out. Let's go out. Let's go out. And I had him get inside Rexy. What's Rexy's first thought when he wakes up? How does he view going out in the morning? He, bam, he was out there every day. I had another patient who was almost shut in, uh, in that she could leave the house, but she had a very narrow radius of a mile or two. So she did hold a job within that circle. She ended up modeling a mountain. She felt the mountain could withstand anything that life threw at it. And a year later, she's traveling around the world from country to country on a multi-month. Wow. I've got to tell you, I think I think this idea of modeling might be one of the most helpful, practical tips that I think I've, I've ever heard. And I haven't used it before really myself, but I can like already, I can already hear myself talking in my head of like who I need to try to model in different situations because I think everybody listening has either that, has a probably particular person that they've maybe said or thought of before that they were like, I wish I was more like this person in this particular situation. And if you take the time to sit back and kind of get into that person's head, get into that person's body, into that person's frame of mind, then you can start to be a little bit more like them in those situations because I think a lot of us tell us in our head, tell ourselves in our head that we are a particular way. We are this way like, oh, too bad, no way to change it. But it's like, if you do this modeling, then you can take ownership and responsibility for finding a way to change your behavior in that particular setting. So I think that if you didn't grasp what that modeling idea was, you need to go back and listen to that because I'm, I know I'm pumped to go back and listen to it because I think it's one of the most important things ever. <laughs> I literally know I'm going to do this with like, the way one of my roommates is in a particular situation, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta put myself in his, in his body and his mind. Um, but not, not and not, you know not, what? We do this automatically. I mean, all of us, there are things our, our parents did or said that we vowed we would never say or do. And then we say and do them because the child's world is modeling. It's trying on behavior like clothing and unconsciously buying it. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I, when I was reading the book, I wrote a, couple of notes on on that topic when I was reading about it and I was like the first thing I thought of is when like I know when I was growing up and everybody like playing pickup basketball and stuff like that everybody would like shoot around and be like Kobe and like put themselves you know what you like put themselves in that person's shoes and they're kind of like doing that subconsciously but like trying to put yourself in that person's image 
will already like make you behave a little bit more like them or give you at least the belief that you're going to be a little bit more like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was an Olympics, I think it was in the 80s uh, in France. And, uh, you know, the French skiers and, and Swiss were really high up. The American skiers were definitely in a different class. I don't know if it was a kid. I don't remember exactly the name of the American skier. But a storm hit. And so for three days before the event, the um, the run was closed. So nobody could practice. But uh, this American skier, because he only had so often that he could practice not as often as like the Europeans, he learned to practice skiing in his head. He would imagine over and over and over again. So when this happened, the European skiers were actually disadvantaged where for three days he just practiced in his head and he won the gold medal. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Love this idea. I'm going to move to something different because I think this is a super powerful topic and something that I'm deeply fascinated by. So I'm going to start simple and unrelated to the book. I th- you know, a lot of people, if they're going to meet somebody someplace, they'll be like, hey, I'm, I'm two minutes away. I'm five minutes away. I'm 10 minutes away. But when they say that, it's really like, you know, if somebody says they're five minutes away, it's like, okay, you're like 10, 15 minutes away. Everybody is terrible with giving bad news to everybody else. And so I want to kind of dive into this area of how do we communicate bad news with others so that we actually kind of do it so we're actually okay and comfortable with communicating it and in a way that others can receive the bad news yeah well i guess it would start with what do you need inside yourself okay that you you need to communicate and then uh one thing is to really examine the obvious that if i uh are keeping somebody waiting and i'm going to be i say oh i'm only five minutes late but now i'm going to really be more than that so it's a double disappointment i supposedly was supposed to be there at a time disappointment. Now I'm telling another time, disappointment. And so it's just, you're really just multiplying the disappointment and not doing anything. You're not getting along by making something up that's unrealistic. I think you just have to be clear about about that. And then uh, in general, if you stay with that, arriving at places, uh, you know, some people are more realistic about time because they actually think how long will it take to get there? And therefore I actually have to walk out of my door at 236. Not like, oh, yeah, I leave around 2.30, but then, oh, yeah, doggy, or, yeah, oh, yeah, thing, oh, no, it's just not a good thing to wear, and suddenly it's 2.40. No, you got to figure it out ahead of time and set that time as a drop-dead deadline. Yeah. So, and then I think one of the other things that you're kind of, you specialize in is making sure that when you give bad news to other people, it's not like, so, like, we get to the point where we're, where we're capable of getting bad news. We're okay with saying it. How do we say it in a way that it doesn't, like, piss the person off or get them in a bad mood in a way that they can receive it. It depends who we need. I think I need a little more context and relationship because if you're every time you're worried about it, you do want to start with intent. Okay. Uh, But then you, there's a thing called projecting positive intent on others. So let's say, let's say we're in a work context and I have to give somebody some feedback who's on my team if I just say, uh, you know, some of your team members have complained, da 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 da, and if I'm, yeah, you know, I can be neutral, a matter of fact, right, not aggressive. They're going to get, the, hey, I'm a team player, da 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 da. They're going to immediately get defensive. If I want to nip that in the bud, I would start out by projecting positive. Listen, I know you're a team player. I know you really care about your team members. What are they going to say to that? No, you're wrong. I love annoying people, and if I annoy you, I have a new record. Woohoo! The only response to a positive projection is yes, it's like giving people a gentle shove and they step in that direction. Then you be clear about your intent. Great. 
then I want to share with you some information that will support you in that endeavor. So I start out acknowledging that I understand that you are a team player. And and what I want to know is that you're being a team player in the way you define team play. But I have to give you something to expand your definition. Okay, so this brings us to another one of these aspects uh, that's critical in communication called behavioral definitions. Behavioral definitions. So, example, my co-author and I once found out we had totally different strategies for dealing with upset. If he's upset, he wants somebody to jump in, ask him a lot of questions, process them through it. And if I'm upset, I want people to leave me alone. So he'd get upset, and with good intentions, I'd leave him alone, and he'd feel abandoned. And when I would get upset with good intentions, the guy would annoy me with questions. As soon as we found this out about each other, I asked my wife, how would you know if I supported you in your career? She said, I did, and I said, I did, and vice versa. And sure enough, behavioral definitions. Support for me meant logistics and space. Support for her meant validation. So I'm giving logistics and space, but no validation. She's giving me validation of space. You want to do unto others as you want to do unto you, but it's got to be in a way they understand. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody says, you don't blank, but you know you do, that is your clear mental signal. It's time for behavioral definitions. So let's say it's you don't care. Then the first thing I would say is, I really want you to feel like I care. Statement of intent. Tell me, how do you know that I don't care? Or, or no, you know, it'd be better to even be safer. Start with the positive. How would you know if I cared? Yeah. I want to get what their behavioral definition is. And once I find that out, then I go for the negative. How do you know that I don't care? Because I want to find out it could be more of one or the other. If any of your uh, viewers have seen or read the, you know, love, lo- the five, the five love, seven love languages, that's all behavioral definitions. I think five love languages, all behavioral definitions. And I want to just point out that there are five things that I found is creates the most conflict between people. We've already touched on them or uh, not feeling understood, uh, a lack of intent, intent not being specified, not getting into criteria, and behavioral definitions. Mm. And the fifth one is tone, tone of voice. Tone reflects emotional state. Wherever a person is emotionally comes out through their tone. Now, conscious mind picks the the uh, symbol system we call words and language. But uh, a professor named Albert Moravia in 1967 did an experiment. He made a film of some people communicating. He then took the soundtrack off the film, ran through a synthesizer, and left words incomprehensible. He had then had a transcript prepared that's actually said. He gathered a group of people, showed them the film. There's no... Then he played the soundtrack, no words or images. Then he had a transcript and people three different interactions and he says what do you believe and uh they said well these people are uh those people are angry these are uh, these are good friends and he said no it's actually all the same interaction uh and his conclusion was 55 percent in the meaning we make in a communications based on how it looks to us 38 percent how it sounds volume speed tone seven percent the actual words that are spoken mm-hmm. so it, when it comes to this big misunderstanding, and this happens a lot in email and, and written communications, uh, tone is emotional state. Here, let's put aside email just for a moment. You're, you're a customer. Somebody's customer serving you, and they say, have a nice day. You think they really care. They said the magic words, have a nice day. The way it sounds doesn't match. When there's a mismatch, we believe the higher number. So one thing you have to be careful of uh, is when you write emails and when you're going to have a tone in mind, and when you read an email, you're going to hear it in a certain tone, but you are hallucinating freely. 
Uh, you do not know how people sound when they say it, and you cannot depend on people hearing it in the tone in which you you mean it. And I would say if you have any kind of emotional issue, you do not want to deal with it in writing. Because emotions, like if you, you and I have a misunderstanding and you want to know that I care and I really understand, I have to be there with you and go, oh, no, man, I'm so sorry, Nick. Uh, yeah, I, I know I said five minutes. And I, I, that was unrealistic. I promise I've never. But, but all this, oh, man, I, uh, I, uh, that's where the real action is happening, yeah. where you're going to really feel like I care, not from the, not from the actual words I'm doing. So, so I urge people uh, uh, when it comes to email, if you think it's emotional content, bail on email got to go interactive yeah so real quick because i know people are going to like numbers and i like numbers what what was the 55 percent, 38 percent, and seven percent again 55 percent was how it looks 38 percent how it sounds and seven percent the actual words so and we tend to believe the higher number you know there was a show way back kill candid camera they'd make a weird situation and have a hidden camera see what people do and they wandered into it when they got off of network tv on videotape they had an outrageous version they took over a doctor's waiting room hired a bunch of actors and actresses sit around the waiting room reading magazines waiting for the doctor except these people are dressed only in their underwear real patients come in men and women are shocked in 30 seconds they undressing after clothes pick up a magazine and wait for the doctor i see it it must be so yeah right seeing is believing yeah, I Actually think it's um, louder than words. Yeah, I really love the I think that's so important because you know, like you said when you're reading an email, you're reading it how you're reading it in the tone in which that you are like your emotional state of that day. Like if you're in a terrible mood that day or maybe you've only had one interaction with that person and that person's behavior was not great on that day. Like you're you're reading it both in your bad tone and in their bad tone, but like it could be completely off. And so that it's just super important to make sure that because if 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 fifty five percent is is how it looks, then you need to be able to. I don't know. There's just so there's so much in there that's so important to be able to realize, um, just to make sure you're not misunderstanding. The person really um, well. We're getting down here on time. I want to make sure I get on these last few questions, the uh, last three questions that I'm intrigued about. You've been in this in the communication industry for a while, and obviously, like email and kind of voicemail are probably a couple things that have been relatively newer areas, especially email. But what's what like problems and communication issues have changed over time? Like kind of that that's more of a cause of it being like millennials rather than like technology? Like has there been problems with communication that is more like millennial centered than like the past generation? Well, supposedly millennials are more likely to communicate electronically and uh, use that more often. Uh, The misunderstandings though in email and text still apply at 55% with emotional things. Uh, Where I've gotten the most feedback is more in a customer service situation where a millennial might really want to text the customer. And let's say it's an upset customer. It's going to be so much more powerful. I pick up the phone. Oh, I'm so sorry. We did that to you. Like, we're going to handle this. It's going to be, you're going to get the, that would mean so much more because it has so much more weight with the, um, the voice tone and the emotion that would carry. So that's a place where I find uh, with companies, at least that that's more likely mistaken. Okay. Uh, I think, you know, it's fine. Nothing wrong with uh, written communication, but you definitely have to know where and when, and when it's emotional content, it's much more effective to yeah. 
be somewhat interactive. Okay. Um, I, I, real quick, another question that came up in my head. Is there, a, is there a, a question about communication that you have not yet answered or solved that's kind of really, that's something that you're like currently working on, that's something that just bugs you, that just like, I haven't really figured out why this is the way it is? Um. No, not really. It's amazing universal. I mean, I, I was very shocked and Rick and I were very shocked. Uh, my co-author is also named Rick. I'm not schizophrenic, but uh, that went that the book could go in 25 languages because certain cultures have some very specific rules about the communication game. You know, there's a very uh, in Japan, you're very you never you're always really agreeable. And then in the other, the hierarchy and so forth. But uh, everyone seems to relate to it. It's been in all those languages. So we were kind of shocked at that. But you do want to be aware of the some of the cultural differentiators and that we touch on that even in the company thing. You know, like I remember uh, doing uh, seminars for IBM's new leader series. And whenever the IBMers looked at the lens, half the people go, I can't imagine somebody doing this tantrum you're describing, the grenade at work. And the other half would go, yes, yes, they do. And the difference was some IBMers are only at IBM and others get sent to other people's facilities. Uh, and so they got in the discussion, they realized tantrum did not get tolerated internally, but tank and know-it-all born free. I remember when I did seminars for Chevron, when I show them the lens, all of a sudden everybody breaks into conversation. I go, what are you guys talking about? And somebody goes, it's the Chevron. Yes, we have an expression for this. Whatever people ask of you, you give them the Chevron. Yes. Wow. Which means you're real agreeable on the surface, but what you have to do after that, whole different, whole different story. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so now I find this, uh, it gets more and more interesting to me, deeper and deeper with subtleties, but, uh, yeah. Uh, well, what I'm, okay, what I'm working on now, the latest book is dealing with meetings, specifically with the context of meetings, which seems to be the, an environment that makes people crazy and brings out the worst in them. And uh, I, we don't have time to go into it. Maybe on a future show we can, but uh, there's some simple things you can put in place at meetings that's going to really control all the behaviors. So they don't even go there and get things done a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And it relates to criteria and things like that. But yeah. Yeah, no, I know, I know that's a book um, that I'm gonna that I'm gonna get because I think that's a that's a fascinating topic as well because I know how much how many people kind of dread going into meetings and stuff like that. But I know I had to touch on uh, most of this stuff today. Um, but the second to last question is, I think that for for me, one of the most important things in terms of getting closer to the best version of yourself, like my goal every single day, is to get clarity on what the best version of myself might look like and what he might be capable of, and then figure out how to reverse engineer him and make that person a reality. So what I wanna ask for you is, is there a specific skill or piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you can see him having, but you don't currently have? Hmm. Well, it's interesting. Uh, when I, I play gym hockey, and you know, I've always been a hockey fan, and I found that in hockey, uh, it, you know, you're not supposed to make contact, but if somebody does, I'm much more likely to give it back to them than be constructive, uh, because that whole hockey mentality, right? Uh, and that has really taken work to change doing that. You know, doing that. I, I can. Well, something happened just the other day. You know guy pushed me so i said foul and then it's just a turnover you take out the puck it's not a big right but he didn't like that and then later on he bam and he smashes into me he goes hey i'm just i'm just running for the puck i'm like i can call foul all day but i'm gonna get sick of it pretty soon and i'm just gonna mirror it to you you could decide which one you want 
to happen. And that, that kind of ended it. But, you know, yeah. I really had to hold myself back. I really just wanted to mirror it. It's supposed to be rational. But given that I'm in charge of the whole thing, I really need to be more rational. Because okay. a lot of my friends make, make fun of me. Oh, the difficult people guy at hockey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. Uh, that's yeah. awesome. I, I like that. I like uh, that. Well, uh, before I ask the last question, Dr. Brinkman, I want to acknowledge you um, for the deep work that you have put into this topic because I know that I read a lot of books and I, I like most of the books that I read because I choose carefully, but this one I know has been such a, a going to be a game changer for me and has so many pieces of practical advice that I can implement, like the ones that we've already talked about today. And I know I'm really excited to go be able to use it. And I know other people um, will feel the same way. So I just want to acknowledge you for the, the work that you've put in consistently over the years to making sure that you point out as all the subtleties and, and all that sort of thing. So I think it's awesome. Oh, thanks. Well, I know people are going to want to uh, learn more about you and, and learn more about the books and the Deal With Meetings book as well. So make sure you guys go to drrickbrinkman.com. I'll have that linked up in the show notes and everything like that. But is there any other thing that or any other place that people can go support you or things that people should be aware of or anything like that? Well, there's a lot of good resources there. Uh, there's also a book, Life by Design, which is that whole area of, of uh, clarifying your values, uh, setting goals, making plans, and, and fulfilling what's important to you. I would highly recommend that on internal level. Many people had transformations and woken up and discovered what they really wanted. In fact, I just had a recently a um, software engineer who was in his late 40s and he told me that uh, how it changed his life he was in his 20s and he wasn't sure where he was going it was the audio tape at that time and he listened to that tape and boom he said i'm going back to college i'm learning software engineering and da, da, da. And he was looking for that tape again because he wanted to give it to his two teenage uh uh sons that's awesome. so that'll that's there at that at my site that that's a good resource in a whole other that other direction that we talked about communication relationship and then fulfillment yeah, yeah. Well, I love it. I'm gonna. I'll have to. I'll have to get that myself. I'm. A, I know. I'm already intri- intrigued by all your content. So I'll make sure I get it. Well, the last question I always like to ask people is, uh, I think the. I think becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey, and it's a unique journey. I think that the way that that, that I'm going to get to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get to the best version of yourself. So another uh, question for you personally is, what are three things that you can currently do, or currently work on to get closer? to that best version of yourself? Uh, me personally? Or people in general? You personally. Well, hmm, I think I have to sort out, uh, I, there's Dr. Rick on the road and there's Dr. Rick at home. You know, that out there, I'm totally out there and, and, and scripted to the, to the minute. I know exactly when I'm walking out, when I'm having my Starbucks, when I'm doing this, but everything is scripted. And then at home, it's like a little more open, just open-ended. Uh, and nebulous because I, you know, I have plenty of work to do, but it's not like I'm seeing clients per se. I do have some patients I see if they find me and I feel like I can help them. I do, but it's not my major practice. So probably uh, being a little more scripted at home to get things done because some things that, you know, I could have some video, a video editing project. I have this gig I did for NASA back in October and I got the video of it and I, I'm halfway through the edit, but I haven't finished it yet. So I'd say if there's one thing that you asked for three, but that's probably the one thing I need to do is get a little more scripted. Okay. All right. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, that was awesome. I know people 
if they didn't take notes during it, they need to go back and take notes because I know I did, and I'm stu- stoked to uh, to start applying some of the, some of these things. So just thanks so much for your time, and uh, really appreciate it. You know, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Rick Brinkman. I don't know about you, but the part about modeling blew me away, and I can't wait to try to implement it. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go leave it a quick review on the Apple Podcast app or on iTunes. Y'all, I bring some of the best people in the world, like Dr. Brinkman, in week in and week out. So all I ask in return is maybe a quick review, maybe sharing it with your friends or your family members, maybe posting about it on social media, just whatever works best for you. We just want to make sure that we're sharing these inspiring words and stories to more people so that we can all work together to get closer to the best version of ourselves because it's really a team effort in this world. Remember, when you're frustrated with someone, remember about the four basic intents. Then ask yourself, is this person wanting to get it done, get it right, get along with others, or get appreciation from others? Once you identify which one it is, you'll know how to better communicate with them in a way that works best for both of you. You'll be able to more effectively listen to understand and speak to be understood. Make sure you guys go grab a copy of this amazing book, Dealing With People You Can't Stand, and you can grab his latest book, Dealing With Meetings You Can't Stand, by just going to drrickbrinkman.com. But for now, it's time. Time to take action. I love taking action. I hope this episode either gave you clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like and probably gave you some tools and tips to take action on. So go out there, listen to understand, speak to be understood so that you can get closer and closer to your best you. 